Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jesus is the only one who's worthy because of his sacrifice on the cross. He takes the scroll and he's going to be opening it up. But when he takes the scroll from the Father, note what happens. The four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now, if Jesus isn't God, then this is idolatry. Jesus' Son is God. When you worship anyone or anything other than God, that's idolatry. Every day we're tempted to worship all kinds of things. Money, success, celebrities, pleasure, and lots more. Anything or anyone that you give your time and attention to above God is idolatry. In today's message, Pastor James teaches that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and He is worthy to be worshipped. John the Apostle tells us that even the angels and saints around the throne of heaven bow down before Him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 5, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Revelation 5 just kind of comes on the heels of uh, Revelation 4, uh, right? But, um, but it, within the throne room, and we, we saw from chapter 4 that the throne room was really like the, the focus and, and he who sits upon the throne and, and the different colors and all that, all that, you know, that was described there. But now we get to transition, still in the same room, and we are kind of looking at this scene play out through the eyes of John, the apostle, and um, the one, the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is all building up to the, uh, the wrath which would soon be happening, the, the judgment that would take place on earth. And so it's kind of cool that we got to walk through, you know, the first scene is, you know, Jesus showing up and, and meeting with John there on the island of Patmos and then taking him on this, uh, this wild adventure. And then from chapter two and three, we got to see how the Lord Jesus addressed the churches and how some are doing good here, and then, but they need to work on this. And, and some are just, they're doing good in all aspects. And then there's other churches where, you know, towards the end there, it's just lukewarm and kind of gross. So we've dealt with the churches, and then what, and we talked about this last week too, from essentially after chapter six, the church is not referenced or mentioned at all, the term anyways. And so we think that this, again, it's just, it's a glimpse of this is in the throne room, the, you know, up in heaven, and, you know, you got the 24 elders, you got all this stuff that's going on there that's just right on the doorstep of, of the judgments being poured out. And what we get to see from chapter five, it's a very short chapter, only 14 verses. And so we'll be able to walk through this thing pretty quickly. But what you have is just this beautiful worship experience is what it is. This is like, I don't know if you guys remember, I don't, they probably still put these things out. I don't know if they do or not, but uh, wow worship, right? You guys remember those things like wow 99 is what they're probably on now. But just all these worship songs and hits, worship hits of the, of the whatever year, you know, and all that good stuff. But I mean, this is like, by definition, a wow worship service that takes place in Revelation chapter five. So I'm going to read 
It says, I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. So this is John. He's saying he, he's, his focus is on the throne, but not so much the throne as it is the one who is seated on the throne. And what he notices specifically about the one who is seated on the throne, this is God Almighty that he's seeing, is in his hand, in his right hand, there's a scroll. It says, there was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Okay, so here's the fascinating thing about this, this scroll. Um, scrolls were typically only written on the inside of the parchment. So it's rolled up. So you really don't see what's, what's written on there. And the, the scroll that would, you know, even if you were to, to scroll out Revelation, uh, I think the, the, the stats on that is that the, the entire scroll of Revelation would be like 15 feet long. So whatever this scroll is, and we don't know what it is technically, um, it has writing on the inside and the outside, and it's sealed with seven seals. We know when in Roman culture and law, a will had to be sealed with seven seals. So you have seven strings. Each string is knotted and sealed with a wax seal. And so there's, there's seven of those all down this, this scroll that is in the right hand of he who is seated, seated on the throne. All right, so it's already caught John's attention because this is significant. He understands the concept of seven seals. That's a will. That's a, that's a legal will is what that represents. So what is in the seal? What is, in, what is written on the scroll? We don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Is it the title deed to the earth, which is the probably popular opinion or thought? We don't know. Technically, it could be, but probably it's not. What I would tend to go down the road towards is, is kind of the same, same lines as guys like David Guzik, who would think that this is, this is the history of the earth. From beginning to end, this is like what will be played out in the future. This is, uh, this is what this is. It's a scroll could contain the history of the universe already written. So that's a significant scroll, and that would take writing on the front and the back, Okay. So we're not going to be privy too much to what is written on the scroll. But again, that's not the focus. The, if, if, if you walk away from Revelation chapter 5 and, and you're just frustrated because you don't know what's on the scroll, you don't know what's been written down or anything like that, then you miss the whole point of Revelation chapter 5. Okay, We've missed it. John's there, sees it. It's caught his attention. Now, the next thing, he, the next thing he, he kind of shifts his attention towards is this strong angel. It says, I saw a strong angel. We don't know who the angel is, and it doesn't matter. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It, is it Gabriel? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Does not matter, okay? It's a strong angel. That's the emphasis. It's a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and unroll it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. So here's a strong, strong angel who is searching out anyone who might be worthy to open up this parchment, this, this scroll that's sealed with seven seals. All in heaven, all on earth, below the earth, there is none who is worthy. There is none who is worthy. Nobody was worthy to take the scroll. Nobody was worthy to even look basically upon the scroll, to, to take the scroll within their hands, not even so much to even getting to the point to opening the scroll. No one is worthy. No one's even worthy to grab hold of it. 
And so here's what I would ask us, okay? Put yourself in the story. Transport yourself, basically, alongside John as you're there in the throne room of heaven. And you can already imagine the, the emotion that he's feeling. I mean, there is, I mean, God Almighty is seated on the throne, and the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. And you got 24 elders, and we don't even know what technically who those guys are. And then you got all these, these seraphim, these angels, and they're flying around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, just repeatedly, they're constantly. I mean, so you can imagine the, the influx of emotion that would be there, in real emotion, not somebody like tugging on the heartstrings to, to move individuals into an emotional state. This is pure just a response as to just being in the room. And John sees a strong angel, and he, he's watching this play out where there's no one that can be found who is worthy to open up the scroll. And it says, it says here, it says, and it says, then I wept. I wept because no one could be found who was worthy to open the scroll and read it. So here's kind of where John's, you know, here, here's the, the thing for John, okay? So he's seeing this all played out. And for him, I think he has maybe somewhat of an understanding of what the scroll, the scroll would represent the consummation of history. And if nobody can take it, if nobody can open it up, then that means it's going to be postponed until somebody can open it up. And so he's broken by this, this idea, this notion of like, well, wait, hold on. Like, because we've talked about the things that were, and he talked about the things that, you know, that, that are going on, and that, you know, speaking specifically of like churches and all that kind of stuff, but the things which are to come, well, all that gets held up if nobody can take the scroll and open it up. And the strong angels looked high and low. Now, Again, you could be thinking in this process of like, okay, so if I'm John and I'm there and I see like, okay, there's God the Father. He's seated on the throne and the Holy Spirit's here. He's represented. Where's Jesus? Because that's, that's the one person he hasn't noticed yet. It says, but one of the 24 elders, one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. My Bible, New Living Translation, it has like, right there, it has like a, an exclamation point. Now, I don't believe that the 24, one of the, the elder, whoever that person is or whatever, I don't think he's, you know, yelling at John. I don't think there's a lot of emphasis placed on the exclamation of like, hey, knock it off. Quit blubbering, right? I don't think he's being insensitive, but he's trying to wake John up to the reality of who is present, so this elder basically grabs hold of John and says, hey, you're missing it. Because there is one who's worthy. There is one who's worthy. And he's standing right there. And he's standing right there. What a great notion. What a great reminder for us as we live in a world that is chaotic. Chaotic. We don't know what's right. Or if we do, we certainly don't do it. It seems as though we don't know what's wrong, but we do. And it seems like our world is just super excited to, to, rush, to run headlong into doing what is wrong. I mean, what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. I mean, we live in this topsy-turvy, upside-down world. 
and it's chaotic. And for the believer, it can be, it can be a little distracting. You know, it can be a little discouraging, especially in light of, you know, even recent events within our nation and, and there's rioting that's happening. Protests, I'm fine with. Peaceful protests, knock yourself out. You have every right to do that. Welcome to America. Beautiful, beautiful country of America. You have the right to assemble. Uh, you have the right to protest something if you want to. You don't have the right to, to riot. But we live in this world where it's just so chaotic and it, everything's just high emotions and it can get discouraging. And once discouragement settles in, then that's when we lose focus of who's actually present, and that's Jesus. The lion and the lamb has never gone away. He's never stopped being present, so to speak. And here's John in the throne room of heaven, the throne room of heaven, and he doesn't see Jesus. Does that mean Jesus wasn't there? No, I think Jesus was there. But when you're caught up in all the stuff, and then there's this really strong angel. If anybody can find this person who can open up the scroll, that strong angel, because there is great emphasis placed on that term to describe this angel, that is one very strong and capable angel, and even he can't do it. So John breaks down, and he starts crying. The elder, who is aware, who can see past all the stuff, and knows like, yeah, yeah. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't need to find a mate because the one who needs to be found is already present with us. What a great example and application point for us as believers too, to be able to come, come alongside other believers and say, listen, we don't have to lose heart. We don't have to get discouraged because Jesus is still active. Jesus is still present. He's still the lion and he's still the lamb. So this, this elder says, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, going back to Genesis chapter 49, verses 9 and 10, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne or the root, the root of, of David, you know, speaking of the lion representing the messi- his messianic title, the root of Jesse, uh, in the sense of Isaiah eleven ten it speaks of that. Revelation twenty two sixteen talks about that as well. Uh, so he's like, look, no, look, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's here. He has conquered. He is worthy to open the scroll and break its seven seals. Here's what's so cool about this. So the elder is like, no, 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 look, the lion, the lion's here, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So I think we can understand when John opens his eyes or clears out the tears from his eyes, he's expecting to see a lion. And I would too. I would be expecting to see uh, Aslan from, you know, uh, from Chronicles of Narnia, right? Like, the, a lion, no, there's the lion. It says, verse 6, I looked, I looked, and I saw a lamb that had been killed, but was now standing between the throne and the 24 living beings among the 24 elders, or the four living beings. I may have said 24. That's my bad. The four living beings. We, we talked about those guys in chapter four. And then the 24 elders in the midst of everybody, right in front of the throne, there is the lamb, who is the lion from the tribe of Judah, 
the lamb indicating um, perfect sacrifice, gentle, humble, meek. The word lamb there, the technical terminology for that one is little or delicate lamb is the word that John chose to use there, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he bears on him the marks of sacrifice. So John opens his eyes, and what he sees is a lamb. He goes on to describe this lamb. He says he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God that are sent, uh, sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the ones uh, sitting on the throne. And as he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, the prayers of God's people. So here's this, here's this whole scenario. John opens his eyes, and there is Jesus before the throne. And, as, and, and it, it's indicating that Jesus, he, he still bore the marks of, um, of the sacrifice, like everything that he went through on the cross. And, and really what it's talking about there is it's, it's as if it had just happened, so the, the sacrifice of, of Jesus, the blood that was poured out on behalf of you and me, um, is always fresh, is always fresh. It's not 2,000-year-old or 1,000-year-old stale blood. No, this is fresh. This is fresh. And it, he still bears those marks. And we, we know that. We, we know the interaction that he had with himself and, and his disciples post-resurrection, where he showed up and he's like, look, you know, Go ahead, stick your fingers in here. Put your hand in my side. Like, he still bears those marks to this day. When you see Jesus, you will see him as the lamb that was, that was slaughtered, that was sacrificed for us. Here's what's fascinating about this. So there's John, sees Jesus before the throne, Jesus is the only one who's worthy because of his sacrifice on the cross. He takes the scroll, and he's going to be opening it up. But when he takes the scroll from the Father, note what happens. The four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now, if Jesus isn't God, then this is idolatry. Jesus, the Son, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. That's why we believe in a triune God. That's why we believe in the fact that the deity of Jesus Christ. Because if he's not God, then why are these things worshiping him in the presence of God? <laughs> right? Doesn't make any sense unless he's God. It's amazing how practical the Bible is. It's amazing how simple at times the Bible really is. There are very difficult concepts for us to wrap our minds around. The Trinity is one of those things. However, there are elements to the Trinity that are not difficult to believe in. And the fact that Jesus is the incarnation, God in flesh, and here he is, he takes the scroll, and, and he's the, the seraphim that were shouting out, holy, 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 to, 
to the one seated on the throne are now worshiping Jesus, the 24 elders who in chapter four were bowed down before he who sits on the throne are now bowing down to Jesus. It says these 24 elders, as they, they, uh, they bow down, they have these harps. This is the verse where we get this concept or this notion that when you get to heaven, here's your wings, here's your harp, right? Go find a fluffy cloud and spend eternity plucking away on the strings, right? Which is a false uh, view of what heaven actually is. Will you get a harp? I don't know. I don't know. You might. What's funny about this, this is a, a zithrin is technically what it's called. So this is like a guitar, really. It's, it's, a, it's a stringed instrument, oftentimes that is, is plucked in order to be played. So It'd be like a, a beautiful little harp. Could be. The idea, though, is that it, it's, it's kind of like a guitar-type instrument, which is fascinating. For those who love playing a guitar, hey, heaven's going to be really sweet for you. For those who have always wanted to learn how to play guitar, hey, heaven's going to be really sweet for you because <laughs> you've got eternity to figure this thing out, okay? But that, that's one of the things. Now, before I move into the bowls of the incense... The seven horns, seven eyes, I don't want to move past that. Seven horns, seven eyes. It's power, it's wisdom, it's omnipotence, it's omniscience. It's all power. That's who Jesus is, okay? Uh, He's all-powerful. He's all-seeing. He is complete, 100% absolute power and complete, 100% absolute wisdom. Could be what those things are talking about. Seven horns, seven eyes. Seven spirits equals the Holy Spirit, Okay? or the Spirit of Christ. Same thing. So now we're into the worship side of this, this little uh, event that's happening. So we, we know there's the harps, okay? And it's the 24 elders who are holding these harps. So again, do the 24 elders, is this like a representation of believers or the church or I don't know? So don't, don't you know, don't come find me in heaven if you don't have a harp, all right? Because listen, um, you got better things to do, number one. <laughs> number two, I, I'm not saying that anybody gets a harp or not. These guys have harps. They have harps. What fascinates me is what else is in their hands? They have these bowls, these gold bowls filled with incense or the prayers of God's people, which is amazing. These bowls of prayers. The, the thing about incense, and, and some, of, some of us may, may know about this, some of us may know better of, of incense than others, maybe because of past experiences with incense, um, <laughs> masking smells and things like that. In order for the incense to rise, you need fire. You need fire. And so that's a good little reminder, too, the, these prayers. What, what, man, what do I need? What do I need? When I'm praying to the Lord, man, I need fire. I need fire in my soul. Who's going to spark that fire? Who's going who's gonna to breathe you know, fresh on that? On that uh, you know, at times, maybe it's just a little ember or whatever. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I would encourage all of us um, as believers is even before you start praying, it's always, it's always a good idea to say, hey, you know what, Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me and fan those flames inside of me because I want these prayers to be as like incense. I, I want these prayers to be preserved in some golden bowl up in heaven. Psalm 41, or yeah, Psalm 41, verse 2 says this Accept my prayer as incense offered to you, and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Prayer and incense, they've always been kind of connected throughout the scriptures. 
You've just been listening to another edition of Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Calvary Galveston is a church dedicated to speaking the name of Jesus into every life that tunes into this broadcast. The verse-by-verse teaching of Revelation comes to you from Pastor James Grizzle out of Galveston, Texas. If you're not in the area to spend time with us on Sunday mornings or on Thursday evenings, would you go to breadforthebroken.com to live stream our service? We promise that your faith will grow. While you're there, and if the Lord leads you to do so, there's a specific spot for donations of any size. We'd be grateful not only for this consideration, but also for your prayers. This is a powerful way to be connected with the ministry and to share Jesus with others. We want them to experience hope and new life in Jesus. You can get more information about that at breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful that you took the time to be with us, and we trust that you'll come back again to hear more truth. In the meantime, though, would you email us with what's happening in your life, being sure to include any questions or comments about today's message. We seek to serve you better, and this helps us to do so. Just visit breadforthebroken.com. Once there, there's a contact tab at the top of the page that can get you started. We look forward to hearing more biblical teaching from Pastor James, and we hope that you're on the same page, so join us again. Well, we're out of time for today, and until next time, this has been Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.